0: Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this Tordesheck podcast. You know what I'm about to say, but please hear me out. Don't skip forward. Listen to me for a minute. We need your help. We have no ads. We have no sponsors. I say it all the time. We don't interrupt your podcast with adverts that are sponsored effectively initiatives by the government of Ireland. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were interrupted mid-sentence by an advert effectively paid for by the Irish government. Where do you think inequality and poverty comes from? Christ almighty, the the whole thing reeks. Podcasting was supposed to be the Wild West, it was supposed to be a bit more punk rock, it was supposed to be a free-for-all, but there's become so many gatekeepers out there, and you know who I'm talking about, the likes of Go Loud and A-Cast inserting themselves into everything and throwing money at people to do podcasts. That's not what we do. We try to platform voices that you don't hear in the mainstream, have conversations in ways that aren't interrupted by that, all that bullshit, frankly, and be activists, because we are activists. We do it because we care. We do it because we want to make a difference, even with this tiny little platform that we have. So if you find yourself listening regularly and you're getting something out of it, please give something back. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. We want to limp on into 2024 to continue to be able to throw the odd haymaker and be able to continue to have the conversations like the one you're about to listen to. Thanks for the support. Thanks for sharing, liking, subscribing, recommending. But if you throw us the price of a pint just in the run-up to Christmas, it would be fabulous. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise Enjoy the podcast.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Dori Hearn, and I'm delighted to be joined today um, by two people who are campaigning around the issue of the new Green Paper on Disability Reform. It is Gillian Kearns and uh, Mariam Madani. And just before I go to my guests this morning, um, I just want to say a few words on what happened uh, last week, last Thursday, in the riots. I haven't had a podcast since then, and I know there's been a lot of, you know, a huge amount of discussion. And... I just point people to, if they are trying to find out more and respond, that if you go to the Hope and Courage Collective work being done by Neve MacDonald and others, really good, I think, information and engagement around community responses and how we can respond through hope. And also, just to make the point over, I know all my listeners... Um would really be, you know, agree with this and, and see this, but you know, that migrants and refugees are absolutely, you know, welcome in this country and that they have not, you know, been the cause of the housing crisis or deprivation, and very much are the victims alongside um, people who are here um, in terms of being evicted, the rents, the terrible housing conditions, and we know that the causes of the housing crisis and homelessness are you know, landlords who've increased rents, Irish landlords who've evicted people, the vulture funds, the failure of governments to build social housing for year after year. There's not a scarcity of resources. We've so many vacant and derelict properties. We have so much money and wealth in this country, we could be and we should be providing homes for all. And I just think we really need to focus on that in the coming Weeks and months, and and I know we will be, and many of our listeners are involved in that positive community action and and to challenge that racism that is there as well. Um, So, listen, I'm going to go to my guests now. Um, Gillian, I'm going to go to you first, just in terms of um, introducing you properly. Gillian you are one of the co-founders of NeuroPride Ireland Ireland's only cross neurodivergency uh, disabled persons organisation and you're a board secretary of Disabled Women Ireland across impairment disabled persons organisation and both the organisations are part of the coalition calling for the scrapping of the green paper on disability reform and then, Mariam, you are from Disability Power Ireland, which um, for whom you, you organised Ireland's first Disability Pride Parade and Festival in July 2023. And you're also a writer on the Basic Income for the Arts Scheme and one of the organisers as well of the Scrap, the Green Paper Coalition. Thanks a million for joining me today on Reboot, uh, Mariam and Gillian. Thank no
2: you. Bye. Thanks for having us.
1: Julian, maybe I go to you first, just in terms of outlining what is your opposition to the green paper and maybe explaining what the green paper is.
2: Um, so I'll explain what a green paper is, if that's okay, first of all, because I think Absolutely. people might think, and I know it's come up in our consultations with our members, that they didn't really understand what a green paper was. So it's mm. what it is, it's a plan or proposal that the government puts forward on topics and issues with a view to it becoming legislation after consultation. So it's published for the public to give feedback and there'll be a consultation process where people can send in their concerns or their submissions on the green paper, whatever topic it happens to be. So this isn't set in stone and we are very aware that this is only a proposal. However, it doesn't get to this stage without there being some political will behind it for it to go to legislation. They don't push this much effort and energy into something if they don't actually want to see it uh, turn into a white paper and go through reg- legislation. Yeah. Um, so our concerns, one of the main concerns is the lack of consultation until now. Um, we were presented with this green paper um, in September and basically the consultation, the original submission date was the 15th of December. It is a 51 page document Full of legalese, full of terms, full of, you know, we're expecting our our uh, residents, because it's open to residents, not just citizens, to submit, to be able to read and parse all this information about something that's going to have a really, really big impact on their lives, and it is a very highly emotive topic. And to do all of that and put it all together and get it back to the government by the fifteenth of December. So one of the first actions that we took, as um, before we began, before we began uh, campaigning to pro- to scrap it completely, was that we had called for an extension. Yeah, and just two days ago, I think it was, the government has granted that extension to the fifteenth of March. However, we had already started this process. We had already come together as a coalition, and we'd already organised the protest. So we were like, we're going to. This is going to be the first of other actions. So we're going to try and build momentum because despite the extension, we still wish for this green paper to be scrapped. Um yeah. So I realize that I haven't asked no, your no, 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 that's a question. That's,
1: uh, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> in terms of that, yeah, maybe just outline what are, you know, your concerns around it and what what um are the issues in it that you feel need to be scrapped? Well or the proposals, should I say, as you say, it's a proposal at yeah. this stage.
2: So the proposals are the main proposal of this paper is to standardise disability payments into one standard payment. So at the moment, they're tiered into invalidity payment, disability payments, blind and deaf pensions, all these kind of payments. Mm -hmm. So they want to standardise them and give people a standardised payment. But how they're going to do that is they're going to divide disabled people into tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier tier three. And you will be assessed... And have to go through an assessment process to be placed in one of those tiers. That's at the very core of it. That's an enormous com- uh, concern of ours. It's extraordinarily dehumanizing dehuman, to put people into tiers based on your capacity, your perceived capacity for work. So that's what it's all about. It is about um, your capacity to work, and some external person deciding on your behalf about your capacity to work and um, so what that ultimately means is that if you, if you are just found to be whatever level tier you're at then you will then be put in to contact with intro and um, and so people who are in receipt of disability payment who are on tier uh two and three which is about 86 percent by the government's reckoning um they they gave those figures in a a, consultation, a joint committee on this paper in the and um, will be in Tier 2 and 3. Um, and what that will mean is that they will be put in contact with INTRO, they will be expected to interact with INTRO, and they will be put forward. People on Tier 3, which is the bulk of the people that they expect, will ultimately be considered to be able to move away from disability payments altogether. Excuse me. And this is really, really concerning because it's the process itself is really, really draining. You will be expected to uh, submit medical forms, go through all, like, have to go to your GP and go through all this. And if you're on tier three, you may need to do this every couple of years. And so go through this whole process. I don't know if I've, anybody's ever engaged with intro. It's a long, laborious, and really traumatizing process. Um, process for an awful lot of people. And we're dealing with a community who are used to being gaslit about their medical needs, used to being ignored, used to being, having things downplayed. And there's an awful lot of medical trauma within our communities. And so the idea, the concept that we will have to do this every couple of years, go and prove to somebody else that we are worthy of uh, care or worthy of, it's just the whole process, the whole idea of it is really dehumanising and it's caused an enormous amount of upset and concern in our community. People are really, really worried about it, especially in light of the evidence that has come from other jurisdictions who have introduced stuff like this, most notably the UK. Mm, Their PIP system, when they introduced their PIP system, unfortunately had an enormous impact on people's mental health. Unfortunately, an awful lot of people um, you know, it I don't want to, I, I'll give a trigger warning here, there was ultimately an awful lot of deaths happened or rose due to the, the arduous process and the mental anguish that was caused by this system in the UK. Now, the Irish government keep on claiming, oh, it's not going to be like that, that's not what it's going to be like. However, the language within this green paper is extraordinarily similar to the language that's within the English, the UK um, legislation. So it seems a bit disingenuous to suggest that it won't have the same impact here. It's already had the same impact. We've had to, in Neuropride, we've had to um, support so many of our members who are really, really struggling with this. Really, really finding this, and we're only at the start of the process, and they're already finding it really, really difficult. Really, really concerned that they will be forced into employment that's not suitable for them. Really, really concerned that they'll, like... For autistic people, the idea of having to do this, fill in all these forms, and otherwise neurodivergent people, ADHD, people who <laughs> really struggle with forms and getting them in on time and all the kind of stuff. People who have anxiety, people who have PTSD, people who have Tourette's, you know, there's so many different forms of neurodivergence that will really struggle just with this proje- process. And it's, that doesn't seem to have occurred to the, the people who wrote this green paper. They seem to be very shocked that there's been this reaction, that we're not, we're all, like they didn't (laughs) think, and this is one of the problems, they did not consult with DPOs when writing this paper. And under the UNCRPD, which is the UN Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, that is a core guiding principle of the UNCRPD, that the voices and the views of DPOs, disabled persons organisations, are prioritised above service providers, above Care, parents and carers, the views and rights, um, of, sorry, the views of disabled people and their representative organisations are given priority. Um, and we weren't consulted. We've asked which, which disabled persons organisations they've spoken to, we asked which disabled service providers they've spoken to, and nobody will answer, nobody will tell us. So we're actually trying to get it asked as a parliamentary question, because we're like, you really need, we, know, we need to know, you say, you came to the first consultation and told the entire gathering that disabled persons organisations were in agreement with this and not one disabled persons organisation that we've spoken to has been consulted. So it's, yeah, it, that's... It's
1: really, it's really, really shocking and very poor in terms of policy practice and developing policy, you know, as you say, it's it's across the board, you know, in social policy and any policy, those who are affected should be, you know, discussed with um, in terms of, you know, services, say, the the United Nations is very clear on it around the right to participation, um, particularly for those groups who, you know, suffer discrimination and and exclusion. Um, Thanks, Julian. I'll come back to you um, on that. It's really been, you know, a really clear uh, introduction you gave there, an overview um, and Mariam, just to come in in terms of um you know your own views on it and, and experience.
3: Yes, it's uh, our concerns are exactly as Gillian said. The essential problem with it is that it categorises disabled people based solely on their capacity to work. Under a medical assessment, now disability cannot be that easily categorised. Um, one example is uh, I would have a very low capacity to work because I have chronic fatigue, but we have plenty of uh, disabled members who ha- are able to, for full-time jobs But they have much higher support needs than I would do. So it doesn't actually medically make sense either. So that's the essential problem is that they are reducing um, disability to one's capacity to work in an attempt, a clear attempt to get more disabled people off disability allowance and into employment. And they're basically forcing disabled people to attend, uh, as Gillian explained, in trio if they're deemed semi-capable of work. And disabled people have enough difficulties navigating the world and day-to-day life without having to go through those rigorous processes of entreo and everything. It also it implies that the reason for the high rate of unemployment among the disabled people, it's 70%. That is very little to do with the fact of... um it implies that it's our disabled people's fault for not being engaging enough, working hard enough to get a job. And that's completely wrong. It is uh, mainly systemic barriers uh, in the way that workplaces are designed. They're inaccessible. They don't have uh, the support uh, in place for disabled people to be able to work in those buildings, inaccessible buildings, or uh, disabled people don't have access to PA hours in order to get those jobs. There's so many reasons that are not being acknowledged at all in this screen paper. They have not mentioned one single instance of how they're going to reform the workplace structures for disabled people at all. Um, The other thing is, as Gillian was explaining, it's under Article 33.3 of the UNCRPD, disabled uh, people and their DPOs need to be um, involved at all levels of policy making. And this is how we ended up with what we essentially have as an affront to human rights and dignity in contravention of our human rights legislation, which is the UNCRPD. So we're the disabled community. Uh, there's so much anguish, as Jillian said, anytime that we have had a consultation ourselves, anytime this has been discussed in a room, people are crying. They're, they're, Enraged, there's absolute anguish and distress and terror in the room whenever this is raised. I was at an arts council um, consultation the other day; tears from the audience. It's everywhere. So, it we are, you know, shocked that this was allowed to get as far as it did. Because, um, and one of the things that we will, as as, as Gillian has mentioned, some of the disability organisations. We have a have a, a sense of who might have been the ones who signed off on it, but we're not sure which ones. But this is, it comes down to essentially a problem we have in the disability sector, which is disabled people not being employed in those areas. Organisations that are run by non-disabled people speaking for us. And those are the ones who probably signed off on this and how this happened in the first place. Um, yes.
1: Yeah, no, no, you, you really again give it a very clear overview and just you know, I I'm sure you you know you have these statistics, but it's what I've looked at before, you know, people who are um unable um to work due to long standing health problems have one of the highest rates of deprivation of any um group and it's as high as forty four per cent. So and similar people with chronic illness have you know, uh twice the rate of deprivation um than other groups in society. So this idea that, you know, that, you know, they need to go work to get a higher income or that it's somehow just you know, that these are as you say, you know, and, and we've seen the costs in terms of the cost of living, you know, for disabled people is significantly higher. That this it seems to be like it's it's, you know, flawed from the outset as a concept, as an approach, the idea somehow that you know, pushing people um, into employment when they're already in deprivation on, you know, welfare. It's like, it's just completely um, nonsensical as an approach. In terms of thinking about it, Gillian, and where this is coming from, is it, you know, would you classify it uh, or look at it and go, you know, this is essentially about trying to, you know, cut back on welfare expenditure um, is it about you know the concept of you know what we call the workfare uh, approach, which is like the idea of you know people should be out you know working and you know forced into the labour market regardless of their needs, um, you know or capacities or you know how the system how employment is and regardless of employment, and it's a essentially a very neoliberal concept and approach to social policy and welfare.
2: Um all of the above. So what what's happened is that Ireland is pretty much officially ranked the worst place in Europe to uh, be, be disabled. Um, and as you mentioned, the cost of disability is significantly higher. It's high across Europe, obviously, but in mm. Ireland, it's significantly higher. And that's one of the things that the government have used as a justification for this bill, uh, this proposal, is that Ireland has this high cost of disability and we want to address it. and we're you know, it's not about saving money because we're going to be spending more money on it. is one of the things that was said, yeah, so what that means is that what they're not the the quiet part that they're not saying is that the reason this will they'll be spending more money is because it costs an awful lot of money to do all that assessment. Mm-hmm. The money will be going in the assessment process. It won't be going to disabled people. It will be going in the assessment process and rolling this out and all the money that's uh, involved in that. So while, yes, initially it'll cost you more money, it's because that you because if you introduce a system, that system is different from universal. means testing, you know, everybody knows, if anybody knows anything about social policy, knows that means testing is far more expensive for the state than a universal payment. That's the reason children's benefit is a universal payment. Also, nothing in this bill addresses that cost of disability. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, We will still be below what is considered the uh, universal basic income uh, or um, a living wage rate. Even after, even on the highest tier or the tier one where you won't be expected to work, it's still significantly below that 350 that we were told during COVID was absolutely essential for people to be able to survive. There's only 260, I can't remember now off the top of my head. I'm sorry, I'm discalculate, and numbers of me do not get along. But it is still significantly lower than that 350 that absolutely people couldn't survive on that. So even if, even if, let's for argument, say, say disabled people were re- receiving that 350, still, you still have the cost of disability on top of that. That hasn't gone away, and nothing in this bill even remotely addresses that. In any way. And so we have been very clear. Disabled persons organisations have been very clear. Uh, Mariam disa- and Disability Power has talked to the Oroctus Committee, the Disability Matters Committee in the Oroctus. Pride and Disabled Women Ireland have spoken to the Disability Matters Committee around this because, in fairness to them, they have asked. Yeah. And we've been very, very clear. We want. To get rid of means testing of disability payments, Mm -hmm. we want a universal basic income and we want, that's what we want, and we want a cost of living payment to do with the additional cost of being disabled in a country like Ireland. And just to come back to the employment part of things, I'm going to talk more from the neurodivergent um, experience around this. There was a recent study, a recent report came out of the UK and it, uh, it was a report asking employers about their opinions about employing neurodivergent people. And 54% of employers in the UK said that they would not, they would feel uncomfortable or would be unwilling to employ a neurodivergent person, significantly higher if that person is ADHD. Basically, we won't hire somebody with ADHD regardless of their experience or education.
1: 54%.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, so, what do we do? You can send in, intro, can send people to all the education, all the training, all the blah blah blah. Yeah. It means nothing if we can't get in the door. Yeah. But also, and then obviously, you know, they won't say it to somebody's face if they have a physical impairment or if they're blind or deaf. But we know that that stigma and that prejudice is there. They like. The thing is, is that nothing in this bill addresses that. And one of the questions and one of the concerns, to come back to the concerns that we have is, and they won't answer this question. We've asked this question in the consultations. Will people be penalised if they don't engage with intro? Will their payments be taken off them Mm. if they don't engage? And they won't answer that. But let's be honest, that happens to other people who don't engage so there's nothing to suggest that it wouldn't happen here.
1: And by not answering, you're not giving a definitive no, that won't happen.
2: Mm. Yeah. Now they have said, oh, people won't lose their payments and people can hold on to this about but but not into yeah. that specific question. But, but you're
1: you're absolutely right to point out, you know, the like the structural discrimination and exclusion that happens from the labor market and how our whole, you know, economic system is is about you know, extracting as much value from workers as possible. And and Mm -hmm. that's the point of the labour market and the point of that, therefore, pushing people into this labour market that is constantly discriminating against people that it it considers, well, they're not sufficiently productive for us, is, you know, just going to lead to, you know, as you say, huge, uh, you know, upset, you know, exclusion and um, deep, deep you know, furthering exclusion and experiences of discrimination. And it should be focused on reforming that labour market and reforming our whole employment system. Sorry, Mariam, I'll I'll bring you back in and then Gillian again, yeah.
3: Oh, no, I uh, was just going to actually follow up with something important that Gillian said. She brought up the co- additional cost of living with a disability. So the Indicon report, I think it was 2021, uh, found that the additional cost of having a disability is between 8,000 to 12,000 a year, 13,000 if you have an intellectual disability. So that's, that's an additional cost. Disability allowance um, in most cases will be around 10,000 a year. So even not even fully reaching that additional cost. Uh, so disability allowance can, it should be, as, as Gillian said, there for all disabled people for those things. I mean, one example, my chair is now being, um, repaired for one grand in my, uh, right now, this month. That's, that's an example of an additional cost. If you have a
1: thousand um, euro.
3: Yeah, just for, for being with the new parts that it needs. Um, and that's just a repair. It's a two year old chair. So that's just an example of the extra costs. Um, there's so many more, of course. Um, especially if you have, uh, specifically individualized, um, assistive, uh, devices, people who need assistive technologies for visual impairments, for example, those are extremely expensive. And there are no supports, government supports in, in buying that assistive technology if you have a visual impairment. Uh, so th- this is something that should be like a base payment. Um, when I was on the uh, sign up for the basic income for the arts, I had my disability allowance reduced by half. And I had a social welfare inspector come over to the house and she explained that the, the point of that scheme was also to get the people like myself off social welfare and disability allowance. So there is this very much, as you said, this Tory mentality that they're behind all of this kind of legislation or any of these things that they're trying to to get past. Um it's like a symptom of a capitalist dystopian nightmare, basically. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well wasn't it
1: what wasn't uh, t- the Taoiseach's, you know, leading campaign slogan of his, I can't remember, is it six years ago, you know, welfare cheats cheat us all and they're the ones who we need to, you know, hammer um, and focus on, you know, not the tax evasion by the wealthy or the, you know, huge inequalities, but the welfare cheats like yourselves, you know, who are just out to scam the system and really, you know, need to be uh, pushed into work where you'll actually contribute to society as opposed to, you know, because you're not contributing currently, you know that.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. No. We're 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 cheats like, living like uh we're still on the poverty line, but it's it's <laughs> let's be but honest, we're not good cheats. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The, the good cheats, of course, are the rich ones who can actually uh, avoid yeah, it all. Exactly. And, and, um but in in terms of that again, you know, back to that viewing and and how upsetting the approach is and not just the lack of consultation, but the the conceptualization of the framing of putting you into these tiers um and, and the whole idea behind it as, as you talked about you know it is a, it is essentially the tory playbook of um you know p- the idea being that you're not contributing to society unless you are in this job that you know that is out in the workforce in our whatever it is that you know you're not contributing in so many other ways, as an artist, as a human being, as a carer, as a family member, as trying to survive, mm-hmm. as all these ideas that are and all these other parts of us.
3: Yeah, And there are plenty of disabled people who do want to, who are able and do want to do full time work. But that's, um, as we've explained, there's so many barriers for the rest of us as well that to even get to that date. They... Yeah. And the thing is, as well, it's important to note is
2: we're not saying that there are disabled people who want to work and need support with that but nothing in this bi- like I think people think that it, the, it's disabled and non-disabled it's not it's disabled and enabled that's the the other side and nothing in this bill is actually enabling people mm-hmm. to access the employment that they want like they even say with tier 3 which remember is going to be nearly 50% of the people they're going to put into this tier from their own figures they actually say that you may be sent for work that is outside of, you know, your already, your qualifications or your interest area or anything. So they basically will get you into a job whether you're suited for it or not. For example, my sibling a few years ago was on Job Seeker's Allowance and was t- trying for work. and was really struggling, to be honest, had 90 refusals. Um, and the person kept on pushing them to do an accountancy course. And they ultimately took their payment off them because they couldn't do this accountancy course. My sibling is di- discalculate. Like, not only did they have no interest in accountancy, they literally cannot do this. They cannot do accountancy. We're both discalculate. That is part of our disability, is an inability to like, and they had a diagnosis of d- discalculate which is extremely rare for an adult to have in this country to be honest with you.
3: yeah.
2: And even with that, that person kept on pushing and ultimately they lost their job secret allowance. I had to move back in with our parents when they were, you know, I can't remember, um, in their 20s anyway. And it's like, this is the people that we're going to be dealing with. And another concern that we have is the fact that there's no no mention in this bill of training intro staff in disability-related matters. There is no training. Um, There's nothing, you know, there's nothing in this bill that suggests that they even... considered that was needed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's <laughs> there's nothing in it that they went, oh, maybe they, maybe we should get some people trained in the disability experience so when we're talking to people we'll have a better understanding of their needs. Nothing, absolutely nothing in it. What, the way they've proposed that it'll happen is that people will have to go to their GP and get a load of forms filled in and yet again go through all of that really, frankly, quite... um dehumanising and traumatising experience. As I said, there's an awful lot of medical trauma within our communities. Then that GP sends off those forms to an assessor who never meets you, doesn't meet you, it's a person sitting in an office somewhere and they decide what level you're on. And after that, you then can appeal. Now, we already know from the DCA, the domiciliary Cares Allowance and other disability-related payments that we have a system in Ireland where, I, don't, I can't remember the exact figure, but a, a significant proportion of them are rejected on the first attempt. I can't count the number of people I know who went for domiciliary carers allowance and got rejected. And if you go into any parenting group with, for children with additional leads, you'll see this, parents talking about, oh, I got rejected, and they're like, oh, no, appeal again, appeal again. 80% of them are granted on appeal. With no additional information or anything like that, the same, the exact same information, and it's granted an appeal, which indicates that we have a system that just automatically uh, refuses.
1: That's that's
2: and and so there is nothing to indicate that this will be any different. It's the yeah. same people. It's the same same situations that we'll be dealing with. Yeah. And um, so it it
1: is that means tested state which is constantly about restricting restricting eligibility and as opposed to looking on people as you know human rights holders and as being you know deserving of a life of dignity and respect it's the opposite it's it it views people from the lens of how do we stop how do we restrict sorry yeah hearing, well, yeah.
2: yeah well the thing is what the the whole system in ireland across the board is adversarial it's adversarial it's you have to fight for everything you've got. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And it's very much set up for coping. That seems to be what their understanding of disabled people's lives is, that the best we should hope for is coping, not thriving, not getting ahead, not striving towards better for ourselves, just coping. I can't count the number of people I've had that have said, you're coping, as if that's Mm -hmm. enough for you. You're not the same as me or you're not the same as the rest of us who get to, you know, have dreams and hopes and aspirations. You just get to cope and that's the best you can hope for. That you can just barely get by. You know. and Your,
1: your aspirations are not equal to others.
2: No, because we're not, let's be honest, we're not really as human as everybody else. <laughs> Believe me, as an autistic person, I'm very aware of how not human people, other people view us. Um, you know, all those myths around having no theory of mind and a lack of empathy didn't come from nowhere. Um, so it just, it's it's very frustrating, to, to be perfectly honest with you, to have spent the last few years voluntarily writing submissions, speaking to the Oireachtas committees, yeah. talking to politicians and telling them what we need and for none of that to have held any water or to be in any way reflected in this green paper.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. That's, it's that's,
2: quite, it's quite, do you know yeah. what I mean? You're like, what are we actually at?
1: Yeah, that, as you say, that is dehumanising. Mariam, just in terms of um that, you know, <laughs> stepping back and looking at society and um how we view disabled people and, and what Gillian was mentioning earlier there and how they're treated and looked on, that rather and some people you know have, have said um in social policy that rather than seeing you know the problem is society looks at the disability rather than looking at how society disables people mm. and that you know this how do we move away from that to maybe what Gillian talked about the enabling society how how do you think we move away from that
3: just to also um explain that that viewpoint would be the social model and that's not at all mentioned, obviously, in this green paper, uh, the social model is that viewpoint that it's, it's a disability is caused by um, societal barriers more so than the impairments uh, themselves. Um, the use the is based originally from that and also uses a human rights lens too. Um, there's, it's, there's just sorry, so- just explain
1: the you because not everybody will be familiar with the UNDP. Um, oh,
3: the UNCRPD, sorry. Yeah, CRPD, is, uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, we're, that's the United <laughs> Nations. We're just, up, so <laughs> we're just so used to saying it that we're like, yeah. we forget yeah, people we forget might know to, it. We forget yeah. to explain these things. Um, yeah. So the, the UNCRPD is the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Ireland was the very last country to ratify it um, in 2018 uh, in the EU. Uh, we were the last one. Shopping. And yes, it was, it should be a stain on our nation forever. Um, uh, we're still one of the, I think there may only be five. There's very, very few left who have not ratified the optional protocol to the UNCRPD. And that's the one that makes it binding. That's where we can, um, go to the UNCRPD commission office and ask for, um, make appeals to them based on any abuses that are happening in Ireland. Uh, when it comes time for them, uh, the UNTRPD committee, <laughs> to write back uh, um, uh, with Ireland when they kind of will assess how well Ireland is doing, we're, 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 we are looking forward to that day because we know there's going to be so much on there um, that's gone wrong in this country in, in terms of what we're not doing. The reason, obviously, there's a reason why we haven't ratified it because um, they've acknowledged that our legislation structures are not up to par yet that's just one element that's not up to par with the ncrpd and um there are i don't even know how this green paper got in considering that ireland is trying to work towards that um so yeah that's just a little overview of, of of that but in terms of what do we need to do to get to a place where that is recognized i mean it starts there's just so much it's it's hard to even know how um I, I mean, uh, ratifying the UNCRPD uh, w- would be a start um also enabling true DPOs like uh, th- some of the groups that we have here. Um, granting some income for us to be able to continue to do this full-time campaigning work that we're doing for free that would also help um also to get get it out in the media and in terms of changing people's perceptions of disability that's one reason why I started the disability pride parade um just as an ex- one small example of changing people's perceptions about what it means to be a disabled person um towards more positive um a positive and life affirming Stance, but there's so many more. Gillian, do you want to give some suggestions as well? Well, yeah, this is the thing like,
2: as Mariam said, like, you you will not be able to believe the pushback. And I'm sure Mariam has had the same from people because we use the word pride in our name. We've had people say, What do you people have to be fr- proud of? How dare you use that? My child's blah 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 struggles and blah, blah blah. And we're like, We're not saying this as like, for me, being proud of being neurodivergent would be like being proud of having brown eyes. I just am. It's not what we're talking about is that sense of pride and community, that sense of very much drawn from the black pride and the LGBTQI ideas of pride, of even though we are viewed as less than, even though we are marginalized, even though we are discriminated against, we are proud of who we are as a community. And that kind of that's the kind of thing that people need to understand. We're not saying that there aren't struggles. We're not saying that it's all lollipops and rainbows, but we're also not saying it's all doom and gloom and tragedy. There's a phrase in um, the autistic community uh, group called Autism Level Up, came up with it, of useful reality. And that's the framing that we need when we're talking about disability matters and talking about disabled people. And Explain that. It, it's this idea of talking about how things are talking about the good things, talking about the bad things and talking about things that we can do to change what people are struggling with. We need to move away from disabled people being either seen as recipients of charity, which is currently very much the view in Ireland as, Mm -hmm. oh, the poor disabled people, they're so vulnerable and blah, blah, blah. And we need to look, move away from the idea of disabled people being inspiring. And so you're you you only have worth in the wider society if we can feel sorry for you or you make us feel good about ourselves. Yeah. Not sure as does. human beings who actually have, you know, full yeah. and interesting lives. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's the real problem. That's the core problem in a lot of societies. It's not just an Irish thing. It's very much global. But that idea, and that if we push back against that, we're met with such anger and such disdain and how dare you I have a family member or I have a friend who really struggles it's like we are very aware of their struggles we want to change their struggles we give an enormous amount of our own free time to trying to change those struggles but only seeing us as vulnerable we are made vulnerable disabled people aren't inherently vulnerable on the basis of having an impairment we are made vulnerable by the structure's and the systems that are in place. And in order for you to change those structures and systems, you have to listen to us. You have to actually listen to our lived experience and understand where we're coming from. Not dismiss it. And I know there's a cognitive bias. I know there's a there's people struggle with this because they don't want to feel that they've been the bad guy and treated people bad, poorly. I was only trying to help. We were only trying to be. We're not saying that. Nobody's saying you're the bad guy. But it's that Maya Angelou. I'm going to butcher this quote, to be honest with you. With that idea of when you know better, you do better and you can only know better if you listen.
1: Absolutely. Do you know, absolutely. Um, yeah. Gillian, the- that's really, really well said. And, and, you know, I think so, so um, just powerful in that, you know, you, you when you know better, you do better and to know you have to listen. And, and you're absolutely right, you know, people disabled people aren't been listened to and, and many other groups who have been excluded and suffering discrimination in this country are not been listened to. Um and in terms of that, you're working to change that. And we just before we finish, um do you want to Mariam, maybe let people know or Gillian, um in terms of what you're organizing in the coming days, um you've got a number of events.
3: Sure. So the main thing will be the protest on December the seventh, next Thursday, from twelve to two outside Leinster House. That's to scrap the green paper. Um, with the scrap the green paper coalition. Um, we've also got a soapbox session to give space for people to talk more rather than us all standing too long out in the cold. <laughs> um, a lot of and, disabled
2: people freezing to death. Anyway.
3: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And as you said. Their disabled voices aren't being heard, so we need to give as much spaces as we can uh, to have everyone's viewpoints heard. So that is going to be online Monday the 4th from 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, Gillian, do you want to say more about how they can sign up? Yes, yeah, so
2: we have a Beacons um, and it's beacons.ai slash scrap the green paper. And all the ways that you can, all the information is there. The posters are there, our concerns are there, but there's also links to sign up to um, the soapbox sessions. So it'll be on YouTube so people can view it on YouTube. Um, we've already got over two hours of speakers, so it's, there's a lot of people who have a lot to say on this topic. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to say about the, the who the Coalition are, are yeah. because I just realised we never said. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, I'm here on behalf of Disabled Women Ireland and be, on behalf of Neuropride Ireland. Mariam is here. on behalf of Disability Power Island, but also um, there's a group called Oppose the Reform of Disability Allowance, who were formed literally to oppose this Green Paper, and one of their members, Dr Margaret Kennedy, is the person who uh, developed the petition that we will be handing in on the day to politicians. We've invited um, Minister Humphreys, the Department of Social Protection that is proposing this Green Paper. But we've also invited uh, Minister Rabbit, uh, Minister O'Gorman, because disability, for some reason, inexplicable reason, is spread across multiple ministries, which obviously leads to an awful lot of passing the book and makes mm. it very difficult to get anything done. But um, and also asked Axt- us for all who are a group who have been pushing for proper access for disabled people for the last number of years, they've done some great work on, you know, inaccessible, the inaccessibility of, particularly around public transport and stuff like that. So we've all come together to work together to form this coalition. And as I said, we originally were just to try and oppose it before the original submission date, but now that that's just been extended, the coalition will stay together and hopefully this is the first of more events. Um, And the soapbox session, just if anybody's not really aware of that, uh, it's a NeuroPride, well, it's not a NeuroPride thing, but it's something that we do in NeuroPride a lot, um, is a chance for people to come along. And people give five-minute presentations, or they might send in a video or send in a written piece. And we just wanted to give as many people and organisations as possible a chance to talk, but we also, as Mariam said, we're also like, none of us wants to stand there for two hours listening to people waffling on. Um, And this group is apolitical. So there is no one particular political party that we are affiliated, like we're not anyway affiliated with any political parties or anything like that and we really wanted to keep the protest apolitical because nobody again, nobody wants to stand there and listen to a load of politicians use this as an expi- like yeah. as a chance to for their own agendas. It is extraordinarily important to us that it is disabled voices that are prioritized, it's disabled voices that are listened to. And it very much ties into that disabled um, rights slogan of nothing about us without us. We are very, very tired of other people talking for us. This is our opportunity to talk about what we want to talk about.
1: Yeah.
3: I might just add two more yep. supporting organisations are DADA, Disabled Artists and Disabled Academics, a Clare Leader Forum, who are going to be holding their own solidarity protest in Clare for members there. And uh, Margaret Kennedy's, Dr Margaret Kennedy's petition already has over 2000 signatures. So if any listeners out there haven't heard or signed the petition yet, please do. Please come and attend. Uh, we need as many people there to prove that you know this is a huge issue in the disabled community and have our voices heard. Oh, and you don't have to be disabled to be there, just so oh, you know. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> allies, please, are very welcome.
1: Absolutely, for definite. Put that call out there, Allies. Uh, sought and welcomed and, you know, hopefully you'll have a, a great turnout. And, you know, I know that the work will have an impact um, and is already, you know, this podcast will have an impact. People will hear it. Hopefully, understand things a bit better, and you know, get behind you in, in the the great work that you're doing, Mariam and Gillian. Lovely to meet you, I have to say. Really very enjoyed nice to meet this. You. Yeah,
2: thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Rory. Was great. You are very Thanks patient just listening to listen to us ranting at you for <laughs> not, the
1: good of an hour. <laughs> not at all. No, no, no. It's very, very interesting and informative. And I have to say, you know, I really have learned uh, here as well today, and it's. Um, I know listeners will as well have you know been found it really interesting and informative as I said, and um, yeah, really important perspectives that need to be need to be heard and need to be central to the policy. So listen, thank you so much for uh, joining me. And just to say um, that there's a number of other events happening. Um, in particular, I want to uh, let people know that the uh, Irish Traveller movement are having a protest at the Doll on December the fifth, which is at twelve noon. Um, and that is in relation to the mental health crisis uh, affecting the traveller community. Um, so people, if they can, go out and support that. Um, that sorry, it's the the national, um, it's not just the Irish Traveller Movement, it's the National Traveller Mental Health uh, Network who are organising it. And as I said, that's the 5th of December. Um and also the um, Ireland Palestine uh, Solidarity Campaign are also continuing with their work and they're having um, ongoing protests around um, the the horrific ongoing uh, despite the ceasefire attacks in the West Bank and other areas within uh, sorry in Gaza as well um, and continuing the pressure. On to stop the genocide. Um, so, if people can go over to Ireland Palestine Solidarity Campaign to support that. Um, and sorry, Gillian, do you want to come in again?
2: I just meant to say at the start when you were talking about the Hope and Courage Collective that yes. they developed training. Um, I used to, I used to do some voluntary stuff with them. Um, the Communities Against Racism, so car training, but what it is is a difficult conversations training. So, if people yeah. were, you know are in a position who want to actually talk to their friends and neighbours but are like, oh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to combat some of the, you know, the myths and basically nonsense that's out there. Yeah, I don't even know how to start. How do you do that? It's really, really good training. I've delivered it myself and so if they got in touch with the Hope and Collect- Courage Collective they might be able to find out if that training is being rolled out in any areas. Like I'm in Waterford and we've delivered it in various places around Waterford, and there's little, there is lo- the local groups around the country who will deliver the training. So you don't have to be going to Dublin or anything like that. It only takes, it doesn't take that long, to be honest with you. It's a couple of hours. But it's just really helpful to know, to give yourself the confidence to have those conversations because it's not easy. Those conversations aren't easy. And you know, people content to shy away from them and then feel really bad and guilty and, oh my God, I should have said something. This just gives you a little bit of a, a boost of how to say the things that you need to say and have the courage of what you're saying. Yeah. So I just thought I'd mention it.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and... Um yeah, I think it's a Hope and Courage Collective, I think, .ie. You can go check it out. And I think they're on, on Instagram as well. Um, and I didn't know you are in Waterford. I'm originally from Tremor. I'm living in Dublin now longer than I lived in Tremor. But
2: <laughs> I'm not from Waterford. <laughs> so I was just going to stop yeah, <laughs> I'm from Wicklow, uh, yeah.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's a great place. I always, uh, always, always love Waterford. Uh, going back mm-hmm. home. Well, listen. Um, thank you so much to our listeners for supporting us. And if you can, we are, as you know, an independent podcast uh, produced by Tony Groves, the Echo Chamber, uh, Tortoise Shack. And um, we rely on our listeners to keep the show on the road, to keep the lights on. If you can, please support us. Go over to uh, patreon.com forward slash tortoise Shack. You get the podcast first um, before they get everywhere else into your email. And yeah, you're helping supporting these really, really important podcasts and what is being done. So listen, thank you so much, everyone. Stay safe. Let's stop the hate uh, and build a republic of equality and solidarity. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you all very soon.